What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Kicks and Picks, the soccer betting podcast. Guys, it's here. It's It's been a long summer, but we are officially back. Premier League starts this week. Got Nick and Scotty here. We are very excited to break it all down for you. Coming off the heels of our league betting previews, it is time to get into that first round week of action. We're going to hit you with the studs and duds, our predictions for the Premier League this year, who will be the stud and dud of the season. We got a couple key games to break down for you. And of course, we will round out the episode with our best bets of the week. Scotty, nobody more excited than you. How are you feeling? It's great. It's like Christmas morning. You, we, we'll, we'll have a, a game to bet on Friday afternoon at three o'clock while we're trying to finish out the work week. Then we got a full slate on Saturday. I got the early game. Liverpool will be playing Fulham at 7.30 a.m. our time, so I'll have the alarm set. I'm going to sit downstairs and then spend the next six hours watching all the different soccer that I can. So very excited, very happy to have meaningful uh, Premier League games back yet again. And then we're less than, less than two weeks away from, from Serie A starting, so it's, it's just going to be full tilt for, for the next few months until the World Cup gets here. No doubt about it. Um, I, you know, I, for whatever reason, I feel like this summer went by quicker than most. Usually it's that dark period with no games. And I don't know if the, the Nations yeah. League helped or, you know. There I was- think it's a combination of Nations League going. And then obviously the, the leagues are starting a little bit earlier this year just to try to compensate for the World Cup. So, it, you know, in that regard, kind of OK with the Winter World Cup, because it means we have a, a, a shorter off season in the summer. But, you know. We'll see how that affects teams. Uh, I know there's been some teams that have had like five or six preseason games, and there have been some teams that have only had like two or three. So uh, you could see a little bit of a slower start for for some of those teams that are still kind of getting into the swing of things. I know Ronaldo has only played a half of, of football so far, so who, who's to yeah. say what sort of shape, shape he's in? <laughs> It'll uh, definitely be interesting to see, and that's, that's one team we'll have an eye on for sure, uh, for good and bad all year long. So let's kick off the episode, man. Our studs and duds. Yeah, one of our favorite segments this time, you know, we have nothing to base it off of last week. So we are actually going to give you our predictions for the year. Who do you think will be the stud of the season and the dud of the season? So, Scotty, give it to us straight. Yeah, I kind of I kind of took a look at some of these new incoming players. Um, I also looked at some of the guys that maybe underperformed last year and could turn around. But I think ultimately what I decided is I think the guy that's probably have the biggest impact on his team this year is going to be Koulibaly at, at Chelsea. Uh, we know Chelsea lost uh, Rudiger and they lost Christensen in the, in the offseason to free transfers. So their, uh, their center backs are, are a little... So the depth there is lacking. Um, they also didn't really have that key guy that could kind of organize the defense and, um, you know, put up a, a, a strong uh, line of defense uh, in front of their keeper. So I think he's going to have a pretty big impact for them. Um, you know, obviously he had a great season last year. He, he won AFCON at, at, with Senegal uh, in, in the wintertime. Uh, and I think it's not just his ability to kind of organize that defense and, and, and be a, a, you know, an immovable object. It's he also plays the ball up pretty well, uh, and we know that Chelsea a lot of the time they're building their attack from their defense uh, with Reese James and, and Ben Chilwell. So having him there as, as another guy that can kind of play the ball up to the forwards, it, I think that'll be a really big, big 
piece for them. Um, so I, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. I think, you know, really Chelsea's success this year is going to kind of hinge on him having a good season and be having a healthy season, because if he goes down, you know, they still don't have, you know, they were going in for Jules Koundé, but he ended up at Barcelona. So uh, they're still missing, you know, that, that next, uh, you know, first team center half to, to really fortify their defensive line. So I think he's going to be the, the, the stud of the season for me. I think he's going to have a really strong season. He's still pretty much in the peak of his career. Uh, he's got all the ability. He's got the opportunity and he's on the team that really has the the ability to kind of make that next step. You know, they've been kind of sitting around as this, you know, third, fourth place team for the last few seasons. And they've really want to be considered title uh, title contenders. And I think it's going to be up to him to kind of make that happen for him. Yeah, I like the pick, um, you know, watching him in Italy the past couple of years, he's definitely versatile. Uh, you know, he's, he's seen his share of uh, formations and managers over the years at Napoli. So um you know, jumping into something new, I feel like he's going to be able to adjust a lot better than most. And I, and I think the other thing you mentioned, right, he's not a kid. He's He's been around. Um, I just, I, I totally think the adjustment period is going to be shorter than we're used to for a big transfer like this. And, and he'll be able to live up to those expectations. So yeah, definitely like the pick. He's been long rumored to come to the Premier League. I think it's been like every transfer window for the last two or three seasons. It's definitely. been, he's been linked to some to some team. Um, and you know, I think he finally gets his opportunity now and, and I don't think there's any doubt that he'll, he'll make the most of it. Well, again, I love the thought process. I, I went with something different here. You, you took a look at a lot of the incoming guys. I'm sticking with kind of the, the tried and true. And I think the stud of the year is going to be Harry Kane over at Tottenham. Um, you know, I, I think the team is starting to take shape the way Conte wants it to. And for me, that means Kane gets back to his regular form. Um, you know, you and I spoke about it a little bit on the EPL season preview that Holland is actually the betting favorite to get the most goals. And, and that's interesting because he hasn't played a single game in the Premier League. And, and certainly uh, his first meaningful game last week didn't get off to the best start. So I like the proven goal scorer here. I think um, Perisic is an underrated signing. Kulusevsky's obviously been awesome. Son is basically in his prime. And if Richarlson can do anything, um, you know, I don't, I know you and I don't love that signing, but I, I think this all just means these players coming together. Kane is going to get two, three, four solid goal scoring chances uh, every single game. And, and I think 25 goals is, is right within the realm of possibility. So I, I like Kane to bounce back. I think he could be the stud of the season while all eyes are on maybe other teams or other players. 25 goals. You heard it here first. Kicks and Picks podcast. Yeah. I, I thought I was doing the podcast with Nick today, not Tottenham Hotspur's number one fan, Coach Steve. Um, but hey, listen, I it's I think Harry Kane has to kind of step up. I think, you know, the last two years, his head has been kind of turned a bit looking for, you know, that next move. And it sounds like he's going to commit, you know, long term out of the Hotspur's for probably the rest of, you know, the meaningful years of his career. So I could see him kind of turning it around, at least from a mental standpoint. But, you know, there are a lot of of players that they've added to that attack now. Uh, so it, it should be a pretty potent uh, offensive unit. I think there's going to be a lot of goals coming from them. Um, and so, yeah, it, I think it makes sense that, you know, he'll be that focal point. But the one thing to keep an eye on, we saw a little bit last year as Harry Kane gets older, he's kind of shifting more into the creator role, you know, playing almost – almost like a 10 in some, in some instances, letting Sun play up as like the nine. So that could be the only case where you might get bit there, but it's still a stud. If you're getting the assists, you know, you may not be getting the goals, but it's, it's still every bit of a good performance. Yeah. The impact will be there. So Harry Kane, that's my guy. 
All right. Well, we're going to look at the other side of the coin. Who's going to be our dud of the season? Um, I think last year is a pretty clear winner in Harry Maguire. Some people may make cases for other players, but just watching how he played with the price tag that was attached to him for the past two seasons, I think that was pretty obvious. So Unanimous. we'll name the trophy the, the Harry Maguire dud of the year trophy. Um, my front runner this year. <sighs> I think it's, I think this one's going to be tough. Um, I don't necessarily know it's because he's going to be a bad performer, but he kind of came in pretty herald, well heralded. Uh, you know, anybody that, anybody that comes into Manchester city is going to have a bit of a microscope on them. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with Calvin Phillips. Yeah. People may have thought I was going Erling Holland. I'm not that big of a Homer. Uh, I'm going with Calvin Phillips. My reasons for this are, are pretty simple. Manchester city's midfield is pretty well established. They got a lot of veteran presence there. They got De Bruyne, they've got Rodri, they got Silva and, and Gundogan. So it's going to be really hard for Phillips to break into, you know, that starting 11. Um, and so he's going to have his opportunities, obviously, off the bench. But, you know, if, if he's not taking those opportunities early, I think it could be very likely that he ends up getting relegated into kind of playing that, you know, cup starter role where he's he's playing with kind of the youth players and uh, he's not making an impact in the Premier League or, or the Champions League, uh, you know depending on how long that goes on. I mean, he's not that young. He's 26. You know, he's not like this youth prospect that, you know, they're, they're buying for the, for the future. I mean, he's, he's here for the here and now and with the world cup upcoming and, and his place for, for England kind of in, in jeopardy, potentially um, he's going to need to have games. So it'll be interesting to see how this move plays out. Obviously a 40 million pound move is, you know, even for Manchester city, it's a decent fee. So there's going to be a lot of expectations economy, on absolutely. them. Yeah. In this economy. Um and so, I mean, this could go the way of like a Denny Drinkwater where, you know, they spend a lot of money on him and then he sees the pitch, you know, 10 to 15 times over the course of the season and in and, and very few meaningful ways. So he, he's going to get my dud of the season. Um, very well hyped, uh, obviously big money move, but I just don't think he's going to have, I don't think he's going to come close to many of the expectations that, that people might be setting for him. Yeah, you know, tell you what, I'm, I'm sticking with Man City for my dead of the season. So I, I like the line of thinking. Um, but for me, it's got to be Jack Grealish. Um, you know, three goals total in his first season at City. Uh, and he is the what highest fee ever for an English player in the Premier League. I think that still stands. Yeah, yeah Declan Rice um, didn't move, so it stands. So, uh, listen, I, I haven't seen any reason to believe that he deserves that. And I don't think the season is going to be any different. Um, you know, you say, okay, Gabriel Jesus is leaving. You know, he's going to have maybe a little bit more of an opportunity. Maybe there's some goals for the taking. Well, enter Holland, right? He's going to pick up all of that slack. Um, so I, I just see this move as being a complete bust. I never really got the hype for this guy. And I think that there's going to come a time in the season where Pep just straight up freezes him out. I don't even know that he gets on the cup circuit. Um, I, I think it's, he's going to be one of those guys that's in the headlines and, you know, he, he's going to be my dud of the season. You know, it's, it's just give me a reason to believe otherwise. Cause I don't know. No, I, I think the other thing that's working against Grealish this year is his place is kind of under threat of being taken, right? They brought in obviously Erling Holland to lead the line, but they also brought in Julian Alvarez uh, out of river plate who has looked Every been bit the best player in preseason, right? Yeah, he he looks really good already. Uh, and you know, he's not going to replace Holland. Uh, I think they're going to keep Mares up on the right. Uh, so to me, it seems the the most logical case here is that you know he's going to start losing. Grealish will start losing minutes to Alvarez, and then obviously that they, they have Phil Foden too, who they like a lot. Um, so there's going to have to be some rotation in there. There's going to have to be 
uh, minutes taken from someone. And yeah, the way that he's been performing last season, if he doesn't really step it up in a pretty significant way, I think it's going to be his minutes that, that end up getting taken. Appreciate the support. Yeah. All right. Well, so that's our predictions for our studs and duds of the season. If you have your own predictions, go ahead and hit us up on Twitter. We'll let you know what we think. Um, but for now, we're going to kind of shift gears into our, our first kind of game preview uh, of the we're season. Back. So looked at the slate. We got two games that we kind of like this this weekend. Um, we got a potential title challenger versus a potential relegation candidate. Not too often that you see that as a, as a game of the week, but in this case it is just because of the two teams that are involved carry a lot of, uh, we'll say, meme potential. Uh, and then the other one is probably the matchup, the marquee matchup in the Premier League this weekend. It's it's going to be Manchester City, the, the title defender versus West Ham, um, who actually put in a pretty good performance last season trying to make a, a case for why they could be a Champions League spot contender. Um, so we'll kick it off with, with Chelsea traveling to Goodison Park, playing Everton. Um, Chelsea, obviously a bit of a new look, added a few players. Koulibaly, who I mentioned earlier as my potential stud of the season, but also added Raheem Sterling from Manchester City. Um, and then a player that they didn't actually buy, but is returning on loan, Connor Gallagher. Uh, may remember him from playing at Crystal Palace last season, had a great season. I think he had something like eight goals, six assists. Um, so pretty good uh, offensive output on a team that kind of struggled a bit uh, last season. Um, they add him as a, a potential rotational piece. Uh, so, so lots of new faces for them this year. Versus Everton, who, I mean, to put it lightly, haven't done much. Um, they lost maybe their best player in Richarlison. They've tried replacing him with uh, Loney, Dwight McNeil, and they've added a uh, free agent from Burnley, uh, James Tarkowski, to kind of shore up their back line. But, I mean, for a team that really struggled last year, and I think a lot of people were saying coming into the season, well, it can't be any worse than last year. They haven't really done much to kind of change that perception. Yeah, um, and, and this this game is not what the doctor ordered, right? Tough one right out of the gate uh, with Chelsea. You know, they're just in that mode of trying to prove, hey, listen, we can take that step forward, right? We're, we're not the best team if you exclude Liverpool and Man City. They, they view themselves as title challengers. Obviously, they had a lot of turmoil last year. I think they did pretty good considering. Um, but, you know, we, we've seen consistency is a huge factor and. Chelsea starting to put some of that together. I mean, I think I view Tottenham in the same way, right? The longer you can stay under a manager, understand his tactics, his formations, the more familiar players get with each other, obviously the better. Um, so we know, you know, pool city have been the gold standard for that over the past couple of years, but you know, these guys, Chelsea's the Tottenham's of the world and, and Chelsea in particular here, they're definitely a step above the arsenals at man United's in that regard. So uh, for me, you know, this, this is a major stepping stone for Chelsea. This is the type of game that they struggled with down the stretch last year. It's definitely uh, something we didn't see coming, but the consistency up front was not there. Now I think without Lukaku looking over everyone's shoulder uh, off of the bench, th this to me is a game where Chelsea start to put their mark, you know, right out of the gate. Yeah. I think, I think you're you're on the, the money there. I mean, obviously, Chelsea have been kind of looking for their manager for for some time, you know, after Mourinho has left. Uh, and, and I think they're under the impression now that they've got it with Thomas Tuchel. Also, as you mentioned, the turmoil last year, that they have a new management group coming in that 
are very ambitious. So they're going to be eager to kind of prove that, hey, we are going to be title contenders just like they have been over the last, you know, two decades. Uh, and then, you know, last year, there's a lot of expectations for them. You know, they bring in Lukaku out of, you know, Inter for whatever, 80 million pounds. And all the expectations for that, you know, Chelsea were, were in some cases the favorite, um, which, you know, I heard it at the time. I kind of laughed. Uh, I'm always of the impression that with the Premier League, you have to have a, a season where you prove it first before you can kind of be labeled a contender. Definitely. You can't be a contender out of the, the, the preseason transfer market. But um, I think, you know, obviously they moved on from Lukaku, a little bit of addition by subtraction there. Um, it, it's, it's a fresh start, you know, both in a management sense from a, a team perspective um, I think Tuchel now, though, really has to prove that he can take this team to that, you know, consistent title contender threshold and not just a, hey, we played really well in a tournament, you know, in the Champions League. We managed to pull that off. But as far as England goes on a, on a week to week basis over 38 weeks, you know, can they keep up with Liverpool? Can they keep up with Manchester City? They've got the resources, you know, they've got the squad depth. It's just a matter of putting it together and, and really... Yeah, yeah. You know, when you come out and you're playing a team that struggled as much as Everton did last year, that there's every bit of expectation that you can uh, you can achieve some results early on. Um, no. But Everton, I think the good news for Everton is, is is they do have some players in their ranks already that are poised to kind of either make that next step in their career or or bounce back from a, a poor season. Um, I think you know, from my side, the player that might be the guy that's going to replace for Charleston is a guy that's coming up from their youth ranks and Anthony Gordon. Uh, he's a really pacey winger, really creative, really tricky. Um, when when Everton played Liverpool in the second half of last season, he was the guy that was making all of the the attacking uh, pushes on on the left side up against Trent. Um, once he gets the ball, I, I mean, he's he's one of those guys that he can just put it past you know any defender one on one, and then just create space. Uh, and and once you get behind that defensive line, you know, good things happen. So I, I think look for him. I think he's only 21, so he's still definitely emerging as a, as a talent, but. I think that's a guy that's probably not a household name that will probably make that next step this year. And then a guy that had a really great season two years ago, uh, I think he had 16 goals, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, unfortunately missed most of the first half of the season last year with injury, never really got settled in in the second half. I think only had like seven or eight goals uh, on the season. They were fighting for their lives at that point. So yeah, tough to integrate the way you want to. So, you know, he has a chance now to, to bounce back, have a healthy season. Um, you know, again, Richarlison is a quality player for them and has kind of been their, you know, main man for the past few seasons. But between Gordon, between Calvert-Lewin, I think they've got the opportunity to kind of replace some of that production that was lost last year. Um, whether that's enough to make them a, you know, a mid-table team again, where they're not really in threat of relegation, I'm not so sure, but there is a little bit of hope uh, on the horizon for Everton in that sense. I, I think they'll still need some help in the transfer market eventually, but uh, at least for now, they might be able to tread some water. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about this matchup is, uh, you know, both, both teams may look to play out from the back, right. It, it worked a little bit for Everton last year towards the end, you know, when they needed points and they needed wins um, you know, they, they shifted their focus defense first build from the back hit on the counterattack. I think, Chelsea's going to look to build from the back, but not necessarily in that same defensive, uh, you know, from that defensive standpoint, I should say, right. It's more about having the talent, um, you know, on the defensive line, wingbacks, Reese James, Ben Chilwell, uh, they're going to be healthy. You mentioned Koulibaly, who's awesome on the ball and without Lukaku, um, you know, they don't really have a true number nine. So I, I think it's going to be a lot of plug and play, a lot of, 
building up from the back, crossing balls through the middle. So Werner, Havert, Sterling, um, you know, Zayek was awesome towards the end of last year. Pulisic, another year under his belt. Can he live up to expectations? Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how Chelsea turned defense into offense. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea really, you know, I think you, the, the, the nuance that's different between how Everton are going to play out from the back and, and Chelsea's, you know, Everton are going to be there to absorb pressure, right? When they were successful in the last few weeks of last season, they were really playing a defensive shape and, you know, trying to find the outlets to, to you know, score on the counter. But they were, you know, giving up 60, 65 percent possession and just really trying to, you know, try and, and slow down the opposition team and, and prevent them from really playing the ball. And, for a lack of a better word. Um, whereas ever Chelsea, they really look to use their defensive players as like their attacking strength, right? So Liverpool kind of do something similar with, with Robertson and, and Arnold kind of being the, the distributors on the wings. In this case for, for Chelsea, what we saw in the first half of the season before, you know, their wing backs were hit by injuries is that they were really driving forward and playing almost as attacking midfielders when they had possession in the offensive half. Um, you know, Reese James, I think had was like their leading scorer after the first two or three months of the season. Um, obviously Chilwell really good with his distribution. So uh, I think having them back and, and hopefully healthy this season will, will give them another opportunity to kind of show that play style that they were trying to build up towards in, in the last, uh, in the first half of last season. But yeah, like you said, there's no real, you know, nailed on starter right now for, for their forwards. Um, I think Sterling is going to have his opportunity. Obviously he came in as a, you know, their big name transfer for, for attack. Um, not the best finisher by any means. I think we've had our fun with him in, in over the past few seasons, but you know, he, he can create, he's, he's, he's definitely got the pace still and, and the ability to kind of get behind the line. Like I said, with Anthony Gordon, Good things Seems happen. To fit the style they're looking to play more yeah, so and, than worrying about goals. And let's call a spade a spade. This is Warner's do or die season. Um, I think he was close to being on the move. He still might be transferred. Honestly, yeah, there, there's still a few weeks remembered. left. Yep. Um, but it, I think he he wants to fight for his place now that Lukaku is gone. I think, like you said, there's no true number nine. He probably fits it best. Maybe Kai Havertz is like a false nine. Um, so I, I think he's going to be extra motivated this season to, to put up numbers. And, you know, he's a quality player. There's a reason why he's been linked or he was linked with a bunch of the top teams when he moved to Chelsea and he's still being linked to top teams now. Um, so it, it's just about Tuchel unlocking that and letting Werner live up to his potential. Um, but I think when you're talking Chelsea, I think the mainstay that's been pretty consistent for them in the last few years really has been their midfield. Um, you know, Conte has been with them for, seems like forever now. I mean, he came over from Leicester after Leicester's miracle uh, champions championship season. And um, he, obviously Conte has, has, has won a lot with Chelsea already. Um, he'll be back, you know, locking down the, the, you know, defensive midfield position. Um, then you have Jorginho who's, you know, 30, um, obviously a, a key member of the Italy squad that won't be at the world cup this year. So he'll have a nice, nice break in, in the December and January period. Um, you know, he's, he'll be here, uh, you know, helping to distribute again, retain and, and recover possession. Uh, and then, you know, a guy that used to be considered a young guy, he's, he's kind of getting up there now too, is Kovacic at, at 28. Been around um, forever. How is he yeah. only 28? That, that, I know. Blew my he, mind. Well, whenever you hear him though, you're always like, oh yeah, you know, he's got potential. He's got time, you know, he's got to be young, but no, nah, he's, he's pretty much in, in the peak now, uh, as far as like, you know, midfielders lifespan. So you, those three guys have been, you know, stalwarts in this, this Chelsea midfield that have, has always been good about, you know, main, retaining possession, you know, pushing the ball forward, uh, disrupting the, the attacks when, when the ball's coming the other way. Um, 
they are going to start looking towards the future with those three guys, right? Um, you know, Definitely. Conte at 31, it, he's probably got maybe a season or two left at his peak. Um, and they have the players to, to, to do that, right? I just talked about Connor Gallagher as, as coming back on loan or coming back from his loan spell at Crystal Palace. I think he'll probably get some, some play in a, in a, in a midfield position. Um, and then obviously they have uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Kennedy who are two of their, you know, long-term youth prospects that have been loaned out numerous times. And uh, Loftus-Cheek, I think, has made a little bit more of a name for himself at Chelsea in recent seasons. But, um, you know, Kennedy's going to have to step up as well. Uh, we, ha- we have five subs in, in the Premier League this year. There's going to have to be rotation. You're going to have to keep those older, more experienced midfielders' legs fresh. Um, so look for those three guys to try to make an impact or a mark on the, on the midfield for Chelsea this season. All right. Love it. So let's get into the most important part of this game, the odds. We have Everton, huge underdog, plus 425 on the money line. Chelsea is minus 150, and the draw is plus 290. Uh, The over two and a half goals, minus 110, under minus 115. So basically a coin flip there, and both teams to score, yes, is minus 125, no, is minus 110. I will pause on our thoughts there because we actually have a pick on this game coming up. Yeah, we do. I think we should spoil it now. I think why wait? I think, I think the people know that we like to do pod locks of the week. It's that the one pick that we look at as a group and we say, there's no way this bet does not win. Uh, Last year we started a little bit slow, but I think we finished strong. We were in the, in the money this year. We need to get off to a hot start. We want to make sure we're always in the money, always in the, in the positive. And when we talked about this game, uh, I'll be completely honest. It started out at minus 140. Chelsea was minus 140 money line. And we were shocked that it was that low. Um, It's now up to minus 150. So losing a little bit of value, but I think it still stays the same. Chelsea money line week one against Everton at Goodison Park. That's going to be the pod lock of the week. The official kicks picks pod lock of the week. First one for the season of 2022-2023. I don't really see how Chelsea show up to this match and do anything but get three points. Completely agree. That, that's, I mean, this, this, you know, the one thing I'll say, I was going to save my rant for a little bit later, usually early on in the season, you take a look at the board and, you know, the lines are wonky. Um, you know, it's the, it's ripe for upsets. The books don't know what's going on. There's no form to go off of. You're, you're basically assigning too much or too little value to names uh, just because of the, you know, who the team is, this is not one of those games for whatever reason, uh, you know, Chelsea should be a much, much bigger favorite. It was immediately the first game. I think we, we looked at and said, whoa, whoa, Chelsea minus 140. That's, that's the one. And, uh, everything we just spoke about, I think, you know, just reinforces that point. So, uh, Scotty and I, and, and coach who's not here, I think we all agreed pretty immediately that, pod lock of the week has to be Chelsea money line. Yeah. I mean, to me, this goes one of two ways, either Chelsea blows out Everton, which is what we expect by three, two or three goals at least. Um, or it's just a total rat line. And the, somehow the books know exactly what Everton are going to do before anybody else does. And maybe Everton pulls out some sort of weird zero, zero draw. And that's how we lose. But to me, it's, it's nope, not this week. Not like we said, if this Chelsea, Chelsea wants to come out and, prove that they are here to be title contenders you have to be Everton week one you cannot lose to Everton drop you can't drop points to Everton much less draw so to me I think Chelsea comes out on fire I think their attacking play will be 
a little will be, I think, further along than what Everton's you know defensive organization has been at this point in the season. So I expect them to score goals. Everton, you know, with Koulibaly now anchoring the, the, the line for Chelsea, I, I think Everton are going to struggle to get anything um, going offensively. I don't know. They, they might have one or two chances, and who knows? They may, they may be able to convert one of those. But if, if Coach XG were here, I, I would say that um, I guess he would point out that, you know, Chelsea will probably have an XG that'll be at least one and a half, two goals higher than, than Everton in this match. Yeah, and the other thing to look at here, both teams to score, uh, you know, it is a slight favorite, minus 125. So, you know, it, it's not unlikely that Everton get a goal. It's just, you know, Chelsea should score two, three, yeah, four easily. Even that, I mean, I think they're just banking on Dominic Calvert-Lewin being back to his, you know, 2020, 2021 season self where he was a potential golden boot contender um, up until you know, January or whatever it was. Um, so I, I think, I think that's what they're kind of hoping for. I don't know that it's going to happen that quickly, um, but you know, who knows? Uh, yep. I have a lot of faith in, in, in what, the way that Chelsea are going to set up and, and be organized, even going, you know, on the road in, in, in their first, the first match of the season. Um, but if, if there's a potential for maybe Reese James to get caught out uh, by Anthony Gordon, similar to what Trent did when, when uh, Liverpool played them in the second half of last year, maybe that's where the goal comes from. But uh, to me, I, I think this is a 2-0, 3-0 Chelsea win. It should be pretty comfortable on the money line. Lock it up. We're with it. So that is the kicks and picks lock of the week. And let's shift over, Scott. The, the other marquee game is going to be Man City defending champs at West Ham. Um, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit, but West Ham, man, they're, they're really looking to prove that last year wasn't a fluke. Uh, you know, they were in the mix for top four, I think, up until week 34, 35, um, maybe even a little bit later. Um, and then, of course, you know, look, City, they, they need to come out as defending champs. They're, they're looking to put a stamp on this campaign right away. Um, can they three-peat? That'll be the question. What do you, uh, what do you think? What do you make of, of what these teams are doing? West Ham, you know, mostly kept their squad intact, but did bring in a couple of key players. Let's touch on them to start. Yeah, I mean, West Ham, obviously, well in the top four for most of the season last year. I think that was... As much of that was West Ham putting it together and playing well, I think it was also the fact that Arsenal and Tottenham and, and Manchester United at the same time were Definitely. all kind of going through their own turmoils uh, and weren't playing up to their usual standards. So I think if, if West Ham want to put together another top four push again this season, they're going to have to be a lot better than they were last year because I, I would expect Tottenham and, and probably Arsenal uh, to have a bit much better start than they did last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, West Ham have done that. I, I think the issue with West Ham had last year is they just didn't have the depth. Um, they kind of ran out of steam towards the, the last month or two of the season. Um, so in comes some depth, right? They, they bring in John Lucas Gamaka from our favorite Sassuolo and, and, and uh, Serie A. Uh, he's going to be tasked to kind of pair up with Mikel Antonio uh, and Jared Bowen, who had a, a great season last season to kind of create a lot of those offensive chances, put the ball, put the ball in the back of the net. Uh, and, and give them some a chance to you know take points off the top teams and, and, and hopefully um, you know steamroll some of those bottom table teams. Um, and then on the other side, in, on defense, they bring in IF Aguired, who's going to uh, out of state Renee in, in League One. Um, he's going to pair up probably with Kurt Zuma as uh, the center back duo that West Ham put out most of the time. Um, Craig Dawson obviously getting uh, a bit older. I think he's 33, 34. So They've needed some fresh legs in, in their, their back line. Uh, so hopefully Nayef is able to do that for them. Uh, but then their midfield duo, you know, obviously West Ham shaping up mostly like a 4-2-3-1. Um, 
that midfield duo is, is probably, you know, when healthy and playing together at the same time, probably probably the top five in the league, I would say. Um, Declan Rice, who was long rumored to be on his way out this this window, certainly seems like he's going to stay at this point. Um, none of the big teams has stepped up the the hefty sum of probably 90 to 100 million pounds that would have taken to, to get him. Uh, and then Thomas Suchek, who I think is under the radar, one of the better defensive midfielders in the league. Um, he does a really good job of anchoring, uh, you know, the back line, uh, playing right in front of them and, and, and protecting and, and shielding them from a lot of the creative passes. He also disrupts counters and, and uh, attacking play pretty consistently. So when, when both of them are out there and healthy, uh, I think they're a pretty formidable duo. It does kind of hurt that, you know, there's only two of them when they when they play in the four two three one. So I know Nick hates the four three three, but if if they had added just like a third, you know, midfielder and another number eight, um, you know, that could be a really big strength for for West Ham. But as it stands, I, I think they'll stick to that four two three one. Um, and yeah, I mean, Skamaka, a name that has been mentioned on this podcast uh, a number of times. Uh, let's see how well he transfers to the EPL. I know Nick is is skeptical just because he doesn't think Italians perform well in the EPL, or at least Italian forwards outside of yeah. Mario Bellatelli. I mean, <laughs> we, ha- we haven't seen it in some time. Listen, I love the guy. He's, you know, a physical specimen compared to most other Italian forwards, right? He's, I think, well over um, 6'3". He's young, uh, you know, certainly the, the runway is long, but until somebody proves that they can go to the Premier League and game in, game out, handle business, uh, I'm always going to be a little skeptical. It'll be interesting to see him as the focal point as opposed to, you know, one of three, right? Uh, Sassuolo changed up their formation a lot last year. They also went with a 4-2-3-1 at times. They went with a 4-3-3. Um, you know, having other guys with varied skill sets to play off of um, freed up a lot of space for Skamaka. So what's it going to look like under West Ham? I don't know. And, you know, does the weight of expectations of being, you know, the guy that came in during the transfer window, does that weigh on him at all? I, you know, I have no reason to believe it does or doesn't, but it's just, it'll be something to watch out for, uh, you know, as the season progresses. Yeah. And, you know, if we're talking about new forwards, obviously we mentioned a little bit earlier, but yeah, have to mention Manchester City bring in two new forwards of their own. Uh, technically, they bring in Julian Alvarez from from January, the January window that they loaned back to, to River Plate. And then the big one, the, the biggest name moving this summer, um, Erling Holland, uh, going to be making his Premier League debut for Manchester City after a, a pretty rough, I guess, would be the, the gentle way of putting it, yeah. uh, performance against Liverpool in the Community Shield. Uh, did not play to his expectations, which admittedly are going to be extremely high right. for for him. And he's still young. I mean, he's what twenty years old at this point. So um, it's going to be a tough to kind of take on. You know, obviously playing in in Borussia Dortmund um, and it was it Salzburg before that. Uh, smaller, you know, optics for for him now playing for Manchester City. Probably you know one of the biggest teams in, in Europe at this point uh, with all the expectations, you know, they don't just go expect to win the premier league. They expect to, to win the champions league. He's going to have to perform um, what he did in the community shield may just be, you know, a little bit of jitters kind of Definitely. you know assimilating into the team there. But uh, you know, if yeah. there's one thing you say about Holland, it's, it's that he's a, a clinical finisher and he just did not look like he had that ability during, during that match. Yeah. And I think, Listen, you know, it's one game and the, the timeline, you know, any, anybody scrolling through Twitter, man, that miss, um, you know, into a wide open net, that was rough. Right. But again, that's one game. Misses like that are going to happen. 
misses like that happen for every single player ever, um, you know, over the course of a year. The one thing I'll say, you know, Holland, he scored everywhere he's been, right? He scored in league play. He scored in Champions League play. He scored on his national team. Um, so, you know, I, I'm of the belief that, you know, you put great players into a great system or into a great team, they usually wind up performing, right? We've seen that over the years, Barcelona, Real Madrid, uh, Liverpool, even Man City, right? You're swapping players in and out. It almost doesn't really matter who's playing, you know, the results will eventually be there. The only thing I can say about Holland is, you know, that, that, you know, the valuation, the expectations, they're unlike anything we've seen. So um, does that weigh, on, weigh down on him? I don't know, but I'm certainly not going to judge him off of one, two, three, maybe even a month's worth of games. Yeah, uh, let's, I mean, the, let's let him the, settle into the team and see what happens. The good news is when you're playing with a player like Kevin De Bruyne, it's kind of impossible to not score goals. You know that Kevin De Bruyne is going to give you a distribution where you just have to be standing there and he'll have it set. So the, any sort of deflection off of your body will, will go into the back of the net. So I think that's going to help him. Um, you know, he's not going to be expected to do it all on his own. Uh, you know, he's not coming into a situation where, you know, he's going to be the number nine and the guy, the guy that's going to be expected to generate, you know, 30, 40% of the goals for his team. Um, that's just not going to be the case. Um, he still has, you know, Riyad Mahrez, who I think was maybe their best forward last year. Um, you know, Grealish will see consistent. if he, you know, Grealish, I know he's your, your candidate of the season, but maybe he, he makes a bounce back. And then, uh, you know, City aren't, aren't short on, on other players. You know, Phil Foden, I mentioned they're pretty high on as, as being a potential goal scorer as well. So um, he, he'll have the opportunity to, to, you know, play off of some of the guys that are a little bit more talent or not say more talent, but, but more ingrained in the squad and use them to kind of get up to speed. And then, like you said, after a month or two, um, it should be, you know, like old hat for him. He should be back right. into his goal scoring form. I, I think, yeah, you know, obviously he's the odds on favorite for golden boot this year, but I, I think you would expect 20 plus goals from him in, in, in league play this year. I, I don't think that's too lofty of a goal for him, especially with, you know, the talent that's around him. Um, but the guy that could be a threat for that is, is obviously Julian Alvarez. Um, I think he has every potential to be the kind of standout guy, not because he's going to be a better player than Holland necessarily, but just in terms of, you know, where his play style comes from and, and how that compares to the expectations, he's most likely to exceed those expectations. He's got the pace to, to, you know, set the premier league light. Um, obviously again, getting behind the defensive line and creating issues, but, uh, Obviously, he also has that that knack for for you know being at the right place at the right time. You know, the goal that he scored against Liverpool in the Community Shield was just that. You know, he found that deflection coming off the off the line and just be able to put it back in the net. I think he's going to be the guy that you know he's going to make Pep almost. It's almost under the radar, right? Yeah, he's yeah. Pep's got some decisions to make. You know, we, we always make fun of Pep when it comes to Champions League time. You know, does he set the lineup correctly? You know, he likes to tinker too much, and I think Julian Alvarez is going to be that guy that's going to cause some headaches for Pep because you know. Coming into it, he's not going to be a, a nailed-on starter in that first 11, but I would expect come December, he'll probably have taken care of his opportunities and, and played himself into contention on, on any given uh, any given match. I think that's exactly right. Um, so, listen, you know, offense is not going to be an issue for City. I don't think any of us are expecting no. that to be their Achilles heel. Um, you know, just, just shifting backwards, um, you know, their, their back line was pretty phenomenal last year, right? Ruben Diaz, dynamite ear, uh, you know, great general in the back, but has some injury concerns and city definitely started to give up a lot of goals when he wasn't in the lineup. 
Um, you know, certainly he's back and he's healthy, but didn't look any better against Liverpool last week in the community shield. So what do you make of city's defense? Is it still yeah. a strength? Yeah. I mean, city's, all, you know, that's kind of been the, the one comment against city spending over the last four or five seasons is they've struggled to find that, you know, top tier center back to kind of anchor the line. And, and Ruben Diaz was their first real success at that. Um, his injury, his, his absence to injury last season kind of exposed that they still haven't quite figured it out when he's not in that lineup. And then honestly, even, even against, uh, against Liverpool, you know, the, the defensive line did not look like it was going to be um, impenetrable for the season. Um, so I, I think city does have the potential there to kind of ship some goals that maybe they shouldn't be allowing. Um, I think there's the potential for uh, teams to kind of, be able to, to draw level at times when maybe the, the offense just isn't clicking for city and there's a potential for them to drop points there. Um, so I think it'll be interesting. It'll definitely be something to keep an eye on uh, their depth, you know, that they're keeping Nathan Ake or they, they brought in Nathan Ake this year. So I think they're hoping that's going to help out some of the depth concerns that they have, but um, you know, it, it isn't just the, the, the top tier center halves all the way through the team sheet, right? It's, it's going to be a little bit makeshift at times, especially as you have to obviously rotate out Ruben Diaz uh, and the concern is what happens again, if Diaz picks up another injury, you know, who do you look to? Um, and, and I don't know that they, they have that. I mean, Laporte is, is always been a, a pretty solid guy for them, but um, he's been spotty of late. Uh, you know, John stones, I've never been a big fan of, so I, I wouldn't say I would count yeah. on him to be a, a top tier center half. So if you're yeah, getting to a I point where you say he's been a bust, I'm sorry, just as you mentioned stones, um, if you remember the fanfare, man, like that was Harry Maguire on crack when this yeah. guy got signed. And, um, you know, he's fortunate that Maguire has been that much worse, um, you know, in the past couple of years. And obviously, um, you know, Virgil's kind of coming in and that's proved to be an infinitely better signing. But Stones, man, he seems to he's like escaped the wrath of the media. Yeah, it, it helps that he's on a team that still wins pretty consistently, right? That's kind of where he escapes. Whereas, you know, Maguire, United haven't won anything really in, in the last few years. So that's kind of where the the, the spotlight gets a little bit bigger right? and a little bit brighter. So it, it'll be interesting to see what, what City do. Um, I think if they have to at any point resort to a, a consistent back line of like, you know, Laporte and Stones or Laporte and Ake, I think that's going to, you know, expose them a little bit. You know, it, it helps that they have Rodri up front playing uh, a bit of a, a you know, playing as a defensive mid and protecting them. But, um, you know, it's definitely not the depth that Liverpool have um, and, you know, potentially not even the depth that some of the other top four teams have right now. Yeah. All right. Well, let's round it up. Let's get into the odds for this game. Um, we have West Ham coming in as the dog. They are plus 750 on the money line. City minus 290, draw plus 425. Uh, before I just get into the rest of the line, Scott, I mean, do you do you think that's a valid line for this game? Is is West Ham not getting the respect they deserve? Is City getting too much respect? What do you make of this opening line? Yeah, I think it's a mixture of two things. Um, I think obviously the books are going to set the lines pretty aggressive to start with because they know there's going to be a lot of money coming in on City for the first week, especially as they bring in a, a new kind of big name player like Erling Holland. So I think there's a little bit of that coming into play here. Uh, I definitely think West Ham have a better chance at upsetting or getting something from this match than, than what these lines would, would lead you to believe. Um, you know, looking at something like a draw, no bet West Ham sitting at plus plus five fifty. that's a lot of juice for, you know, 
getting that that you know money back situation on a, on a draw. And like I said, you know, West Ham have their own new players as well. Uh, their their attack, I think, is very capable of putting up two or three goals a game, and they, they did that a lot last year, even without Skamaka. So, so uh, let me hit you with two that are interesting. You mentioned draw no bet, but West Ham, you know, if we're um if we're taking goal line spread here, West Ham getting half a goal is still plus two twenty five. So yeah. coming out, you know, keeping it close, getting a draw. That's a lot of money to be made. Um, the one that I really like, I mean, I, I didn't make it a lock of the week, but now that I'm looking at the line, I didn't see it was this favorable. West Ham plus a goal and a half is minus 125. Um, yeah. and, I, and I believe that was even like minus 115 yesterday. So almost even money giving West Ham a goal and a half. Um, that, that's not a bad number. Yeah, again, I think if you are a believer in what West Ham has done in terms of you know creating a, a dynamic attack and and you know it, it kind of depends on what Moyes, what kind of instruction Moyes gives them, but it, we, Antonio has always been a threat to score. I mean, he's been a, a long-term staple in that lineup, and then um, bringing in Skamaka to you know obviously put away even some more chances and the, the the growth that Jared Bowen had last year and. Again, you know, people talk about Declan Rice potentially moving this summer. I think there's a lot of potential for Jared Bowen moving on this this summer. Um, so West Ham just kind of keeping a hold of those two players is a big win um, out in the in the transfer market in of itself. So I, I think you have to kind of consider that. Hey, look, you know, West Ham have every chance of, of putting together a couple goals. Can their defense hold together enough? Can um, you know maybe Holland is still kind of trying to get his feet underneath them, right? So that could be a, a slow start again. Uh, I, I think you have to kind of consider that there is some you know, potential here for at least a, a small upset, whether it's a, like you said, plus a half a goal cashing or, or a draw no bet getting a push, but being in a plus 550 win situation up until the last minute, I think there's some opportunity there. Yeah. But let's keep an eye on those as uh, it gets closer to kickoff. I, I like that a lot. And, um, you know, the other thing we'll say is the book's definitely expecting goals here. Both teams to score. Yes is minus 120, and the total is actually three goals. So over three is minus 110, under minus 115. Uh, the question is, how many of those goals come from West Ham, yeah. and, and how do you believe? So um, should be a dynamite game. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of goals in this game. I and mean, we saw it last year. West Ham was a part of many 3-2, 3-1, 4-2 games. Um I don't think there's anything different about the team this year that would lead me to believe that they're going to all of a sudden be a part of like zero, 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 one, uh, you know, skinny their teeth matches. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up the preview of that marquee game. Let's get into what the people are really asking for our hat trick of picks, our locks of the week. Scotty, I think let's just go boom, 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 one, 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 kick us off. Give us your all first right. lock of the week and I will hit you with mine. Yeah, as I mentioned, very excited to have Premier League back. Obviously, having the three o'clock afternoon game on a Friday is is huge. I mean, it, you basically can chalk off two hours off your work week because you know, let's be honest, nothing's getting done uh, during from three to five p.m. Uh, on Fridays when there's a Premier League game going on. The time so, is already blocked off in my calendar, uh, as it should so be. I, I have a very important meeting. If yeah, you look at my work schedule. And so, if you're going to be watching this game, you got to be betting on it. So, week one, game one, we're putting some money down. It's going to be Arsenal at Crystal Palace. I think Arsenal have a huge amount of expectations this year. They've been playing really well in preseason. Crystal Palace, you know, they're an up and down team. Um, I usually think higher of them, you know, than they actually play. So I'm going to try to be cognizant of that this year. Um, so for me, the, the the lock that I'm taking here is going to be the over two and a half goals. It's minus 115. So obviously a bit of a favorite, but, you know, almost a coin flip. Yep. Um, look, both of these teams are capable of scoring goals. We know that. 
Arsenal brought in Jesus to kind of be that, you know, tried and true number nine, but they still have, you know, Saka, they still have Martinelli, they still have Odegaard. Um, there's plenty of talent through that, you know, attacking line to create goals. And, and that's, they did pretty well with that last year. Um, on the other side, obviously, uh, Crystal Palace have a lot of young, you know, talent that, that can score as well. You know, Wilfred Zaha has been a mainstay in the Premier League for the last eight seasons. Um, always tricky, always capable of pulling one out at any time. Uh, and then Edouard and, and Elise, again, young guys that are coming up, really dynamic players, carry the ability to score. Um, can they get one? two maybe um but even if they just get one i think that puts us in a pretty good position to cash can arsenal put three or four in the back of the net in the first week absolutely um so i'm gonna take the over two and a half and just bank on on this being a goal fest to start off the season yeah i mean and let's stay right here right i i'm on this game for a lot of the same reasons right game one bet one there's just it's the way to go um so i think that arsenal similarly need to have a hot start to you know stay in that top four conversation um and you know just looking at the number, Arsenal, I'm sorry, I should have let off with my pick. Arsenal on the money line, minus 125. I just figured this number to be a lot worse, right? We, we spoke about the Liverpool number, Tottenham number, the City number, right? Those guys are all minus 300 on the money line. Uh, so getting Arsenal minus 125, I'm almost putting this in the Chelsea lock of the week category. I, I just like them to get off to a hot start. And this to me is just the classic don't overthink it game to start the season. Arsenal money line looks good. It's going to feel good. Bet it. Um, I like both of our bets here in this first game. Yeah. I know you said that you didn't think there was a whole lot of, you know, opportunity based off of, you know, books being uncertain of things at the start of the season. But honestly, I think Arsenal at minus 125 here, that's a pretty good value. I think typically you would see that closer to minus 170, minus 180 um, if we get further down the season. Definitely. Um, shifting into my next lock of the week, I'm going back to a, a, a tried and true a tried and tested favorite uh, of mine. Um, and that's gonna be the under two and a half goals in a Wolverhampton game. Wolves played that under for me so well last season. Their defense was unbelievable. Their offense was basically there to just take the, the odd opportunity. So never really had uh, much danger in, in losing the under two and a half. They're playing at Leeds. Um, I know we've been a, a big proponent of the Leeds easy overs. Um, yes, I think that movement is officially dead right now. They lost Rafinha. Um, maybe they lose Jack Harrison off their front line as well. He's rumored to being on his way out to potentially Newcastle. We haven't actually talked about this week. We'll have to talk about them next week. Um, and then obviously Calvin Phillips leaving their midfield. So I, I don't like them being a, a very dynamic offensive threat this season, unless, you know, the Americans come in, um, Aronson and um, um, Adams uh, come in and kind of really reshape that team. But uh, I think it'll be a slow start for them. Definitely. I think Wolverhampton, Going on the road week one, we'll go back to their defensive shape, um, kind of let leads kind of play into their their back line and then try and counter. I think this is very much a, a straightforward 0-0-1-0 game. Um, maybe it ends up in a 1-1 draw, but I don't think it's going to be a sweaty one. I don't think you're going to be sitting at two goals at halftime like has happened to us many a time last season. Um, I would expect this to be a pretty slow-paced, pretty even-keeled match under 2.5 minus 130. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I'll say, new season, um, RIP easy overs, man. Leeds is going to have to prove themselves that their defense will be as bad or their offense will be as good as last year. So uh, definitely a clash, but Wolverhampton, I think for all the reasons you mentioned, are just still a solid go-to under play. As much as I hate rooting for an under, it's the right move here. Yeah. Um, 
And, and with that, I will not be rooting for an under with my second lock of the week because I am going with Liverpool at Fulham. I am taking Liverpool's team total over two and a half. It is actually plus 105. Um, you know, I, I just think that Liverpool's goal scoring record the last few seasons speaks for itself. And what they have done better than almost anybody else is they have looked like they are in mid-season form in this preseason. They won the Community Shield last week. How many goals did they wind up putting in that game towards the end three. of it? They got three, three. goals. Three goals total. Um, you know, I shut that off after that, I think, was a 91st-minute winner. So yeah. they added another one. And I just think they get out to a super quick start in this one. And, and the beauty of this team is the depth up front is incredible. So no matter who starts, I expect, you know, maybe four or five, even all six of their, their forward type players could feature in this one at some point. Um, and, you know, I like Nunez to make an early impression. I don't know if he's starting or not. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't impact my bet. Um, and, and one thing I did not know as I was putting this together and Scott as the man with the Liverpool plan has shown me the last six seasons, Liverpool have opened the season with three or more goals. So yeah. three goals in two of those games, four goals in the other four, including three at Norwich last season. That's just more fuel to the fire. That makes me love this bet even more than I already did. Pool's going to put up three at least, and we're getting plus money at it. So definitely love this. And uh, one thing I do want to shout out, you know, Fulham, I, I do like uh, their forward Mitrovic, the Serbian. He's an anytime goal scorer, plus 240. I don't know if Fulham gets goals or not, but I think that's a, that's a pretty strong number for a forward. This guy was automatic last year in the championship. I feel like he had 40 goals. I don't know how many goals he actually had, but it felt like every time I looked at the, the record. Yeah, he set the record for most goals on championship season. Yeah, there you go. So every time I looked at the box score, that guy was scoring. So plus 240. Um, whereas, you know, if you look at some other games, you know, Haaland is like minus 110 to score. Alvarez is like, you know, plus 120 to score. So plus 240 seems like a good number here. I'm not necessarily going to bet it. It doesn't impact Liverpool team total, but uh, that is a ton of value that books will have to adjust to one way or the other. So wanted to throw it out there. Yeah. I mean, anyone that's watched Liverpool the last five or six years, basically anytime they've watched Liverpool at their club, they know that they come out week one, you know, like a bat out of hell. It's, they are running all over the field. They are pressing, they are countering, they are just constantly running at the net. Um, and, you know, like Nick said, last six seasons, they've scored at least three. Most of the time, they've actually scored four goals in their opening yep. game. Um, a lot of times it's against those newly promoted sides, similar to this instance with Fulham, but they've also done it to West Ham. They've done it to Arsenal. So uh, I, I like that trend to continue. I think Klopp is, is out to make a statement week one every single season. Uh, I wouldn't expect that to change. Appreciate your support. Keeping in that theme of expecting goals to be scored, we just talked about Manchester City at West Ham. I'm actually taking a lock on this match. It's going to be both teams to score at minus 120. We talked about the total being set at three. Usually means there's going to be goals scored. We talked about Manchester City's defense being maybe a little bit suspect. Uh, and obviously with West Ham bringing in John Lucas Gamaka, their, their new look attack being as potent as ever. So I like Obviously, West Ham to, to get one here at home. I, th I think it'd be tough to, to open the season at home, even if it's against the title favorites um, and, and get shut out. So I expect them to score. Um, and then obviously with Manchester City, they're always a threat going forward. You always expect them to score at least one, if not a few. Um, so I'd like to see either Holland or Alvarez getting on the score sheet. I'd like to see De Bruyne, you know, being that constant threat, you know, dynamic threat moving forward that we're so used to. Um, to me, that seems like a pretty easy one. Uh, 
both teams to score minus 120 should be a, a pretty quick lock. Um, yeah, similar like to you it. though, similar to Nick though, I do have some some odds here that that maybe raise an eyebrow. So looking at goal score props, obviously Erling Holland sitting at a heavy favorite minus 125, not touching that. Julian Alvarez next favorite minus 105, we're not touching that. Even worse than I thought. Then you jump up, you get De Bruyne at plus 180, Maras plus 200, Foden at plus 260, Grealish at plus 350. No you chance. have to keep going all the way up to plus 400 before you get to your first West Ham score, and that's Gianluca Scamacca. So Scamacca and Jared Bowen both sitting at plus 400, Mikel Antonio sitting at plus 450. I mean, I, I think you can pick two of those names, put put a bet down, and, and you'll you'll be pretty pretty certain to at least get one of them. 100%. And, and this is one of those classic examples where, you know, early on in the season, the books have it wrong. Uh, you know, I mentioned they were super sharp on the, the money lines, right, on, on the game lines themselves. These player props are out of control. Those, the value in those three players is insanely good, and I love where your head's at. So definitely sprinkling on two out of three, like you said. Yeah, let's I think two out of three. Lineup to come out, and yeah. let's make some money. Yeah, throw. I mean, obviously, like Bowen and, and Skamaka, probably the two most likely to score for West Ham at plus 400. Do a, a simple unit on each of those and double your money if one of them scores. And if both of them score, Shit. big money. Take the rest big of cash. Off. Yeah, big cash. All right. Well, you inspired me with that pick. I am also going to take both teams to score, but I am going over to Tottenham against Southampton. Uh, both teams to score is minus 115 there. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things I've mentioned, the lines seem pretty sharp. So we had to get a little creative with some of our bets here. And, you know, I, I'm always looking at underdogs early on in the season. Uh, you know, I'm looking for that shock result to come from somewhere. I don't necessarily know if it's this game here, but I do like Southampton to put a little scare into Tottenham this game. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty young up front. They brought in a young French player, Mara from Bordeaux, Adams and Armstrong holding over um, all three similarly here, plus 350 or higher to score. And I'm banking on one of them. Um, and then there's also James Ward-Prowse that's your boy's got awesome for you last year. Dynamite on those set pieces. Um, I, I think they get something going. I think Tottenham certainly win this game but I, I can see Southampton maybe getting out to a shock early lead or, you know, putting something in over the course of the game. Definitely going to be deadly with those set pieces and look to capitalize that way. So minus 115, both teams to score. Defenses are always a little shaky early on in the year. And I, I almost am going to take both teams to score like across the board this week. So uh, this is the game I've identified. Yeah, might as well. I mean, we're all enthusiastic about the season starting. Might as well root for goals. No better way to do that than both teams to score. Absolutely. All right. Well, that about wraps it up. I think uh, I think we got six great picks there. Seven if you include our pod lock of the week. Let's just start seven and zero. Like who says no? But who says let's not seven start seven and zero? You know who's not going to get any wins this to. week? Coach. Coach, Coach yeah. can have zero wins this week. So Nick and I will, will hopefully get off to a good start. Hopefully we see two three and zeros at uh, at the end of the day on Sunday. And then obviously that pod lock. We want to get off to a good start with a, a winning. Uh, one and oh beginning of the season um and lock that in now minus 150 yeah it's like going up said, it's, already it's going up so yeah definitely lock that in by the time you hear this it may even be at minus 160 um but that does it for us thank you for joining us on our opening season episode um obviously we'll be here every week throughout the season we got seria starting up next week so we'll be including them as well um hopefully coach will be back and that, since we'll be talking about the italian soccer i think that's usually where he likes to poke his head in but um thanks for listening like, subscribe on wherever you find podcasts, and we'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it.